History says, don't hope on this side of the grave. But then, once in a lifetime, the longed-for tidal wave of justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. So hope for a great sea change on the far side of revenge. Believe that a further shore is reachable from here. Believe in miracles and cures and healing wells. William Falchier Kerr Rovaligular Haganakhoid Shaw Lesson Kuju Conblena Esfiha Oshinu Kohentu Velfarsia Kohentu Inya Ankesha Akelaru. I welcome you all today to this ceremony to mark the 25th anniversary of the signing of the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. I am particularly appreciative of you being here today when I know that some of you may have very significant religious and or family commitments. On Good Friday, 25 years ago, after years of negotiations and against many expectations, an historic agreement was reached. It was an honourable compromise. It contained challenges for everyone, but it did not diminish any of the deeply held political views of those present. Nor did it mean that the future would be easy, but it was a new beginning. A new beginning for this society and a new basis for us all to work through our differences collectively. Most of all, it was a fundamental shift from the tragedy and turmoil of the previous 30 years and more. I am one of the few remaining members in this Assembly from 1998, but it is a pleasure to look around this hall today to see so many figures from all parties and other sectors who contributed to the negotiations and who served in the first Assembly. You all know at first hand how long and painstaking those negotiations were. The agreement also transformed relationships across these islands. And I want to acknowledge the presence today of representatives from Westminster, the House of the Oireachtas, the Scottish Parliament and Welsh Senate. And I also want to recognise the presence of the US Consul General Paul Narain and the great assistance that was given by the US administration. And I will say more about that later. Regardless of our current difficulties, it is important indeed imperative that this milestone anniversary is marked in Parliament buildings by this Assembly. As imperfect as our peace may have been, we should not be complacent about how far we have come or about how significant an achievement the agreement was. Over the next few weeks, there are countless opportunities to both analyse and debate the detail of the agreement and all of the politics that has happened since. However, at this ceremony today, we will hear memories and reflections from some of the key players and both the parties and governments at the time, both in person and or by video. These will be interspersed with some musical performances along the way. The agreement was about the future, and so I have asked members of our Youth Assembly to assist me with the introductions throughout today's ceremony. I hope you enjoy today's event, and I would ask you please to join me and welcoming the choir of the Belfast School of Performing Arts.
Hello, my name is Adam Hutchinson. I'm 17 years old and I'm a member of the Youth Assembly from Balamani. Billy Hutchinson, of no relation to myself, <laughs> was part of the Progressive Unionist Party negotiating team in 1998 and following the agreement went on to become an elected MLA for North Belfast. Please welcome Billy Hutchinson to the stage. Thank you, Adam, for that introduction, and you did the right thing by denying me. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I'm first up, and I've been told to stick to five minutes. To guarantee you, by the time we get through this, I'd have done five minutes, and everybody else have done 25. But anyway, I'll try to stick to this. Look, the first thing I want to say is that, you know, I don't want to be here today. I would rather my late colleague, David Irving, had been standing here. We miss him every day. Uh, he's missed in politics in this country, but unfortunately. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately, I'm here. Uh, I'm not a very good substitute for David, but I'm here and uh, I will say what I have to say uh, and I'll say it with pride. I mean, there's been, I suppose today's about reflection and I think that. You know, lots of things have been said about this building and the people in it, and lots of things were said about the Good Friday Agreement. One of the things that I do want to recognise is that there was lots of people uh, who spent hours and weeks, days and years uh, trying to get this agreement. And it came about because all of those people had to build relationships with each other and had to agree how to move forward. So, um, I've picked out just one thing that was near the end, very end, just before we went out the door, whenever the Good Friday Agreement had been announced, and it's a story about David. So David came to me very late on and he said to me, Billy, you need to go out there and find out what's going on. And I said, why, David? And he said to me, I have a feeling there's something wrong. Uh, so I went out, came back about 20 minutes later, and I said to him, yes, David, uh, we've found out that the Prime Minister has done a side deal. Um, uh, and there's a letter on his way to David Trimble. Now, this isn't any comment about the Australians or David. It's just a story that I'm telling. Um, so when I told him this, he said to me, how do you know? So I said to him, David, I just spoke to about three people and they have confirmed this. And I said to him, so I'm assuming uh, when, I go out, when we go out the door, they're going to tell us this. And it's going to be about decommissioning. And David turned and said to me, well, you, you deal with that because that's, that's your job. Um, and it was just, it was the nature of the man. You know, he knew he had this feeling that something was going to come from the side. But at the end of the day, you know, there was lots of things happened in here, and particularly in Castle Buildings, and we got there at the end. Uh, and I have to say that, you know, I have a great respect for all those people who took part. Didn't necessarily agree with uh, everybody's politics, but what I did agree with, that we were all moving in the same direction, and we got there in the end. Um, the Ulster Unionists and the SDLP were the largest parties at that particular time. Uh, and as we've seen in the film, they became first and deputy first minister. So plenty of memories, uh, plenty of good stories. But the story was on the last day that we had to hold our nerve in terms of when we were going out and being hit with a or being hit with something, a question that was going to talk about rather and talk about the agreement and the length of time it took and how we got there. You know, they were just going to talk about a letter that came from the Prime Minister. Um, so we bought it at the side and got on with it. 
uh, and the rest is history. So from that point of view, I have plenty more stories I can tell, but I'm very uh, aware of the speaker who said to me, stick to your five minutes. Uh, and so, you know, what I want to do is to try to stick to that. I'll just finish with this, you know, no matter what we all say, and I'm one of these people who are probably sceptical, that it doesn't work now, and we need to fix it. We do need to fix it. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, the world has changed. Northern Ireland has changed uh, because of the agreement. And we can pick holes in it all we like. But the, the thing is, to see these young people singing today and the song that they sang, you know, it rings true. Really rings true. We sh nobody should be living in fear. And I accept though that the peace process isn't probably um, perfect, but neither is a political process. But the two things we have is two processes, and when they converge, then this society will be far better. So my view is that that's where we need to get to, and converge the political and the peace process, and make this place even better for the generations to come, and for those of us who are still here. So thank you very much. I'm Kelly Yu. I'm 15 from South Belfast. I'm a Youth Assembly member. In 1996, Monica McWilliams was one of the co-founders of the Northern Ireland Women's Coalition and was elected as a delegate to the multi-party negotiations. Following the agreement in 1998, she was elected to the Assembly as a member for South Belfast. Please welcome Professor Monica McWilliams. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, as Billy said, it is a day of reflection, and I'm so glad it is because as I have been thinking about the week, I've been thinking about who is not with us. Um, and I'm looking back now, and I've closed my eyes to that moment at half past five on Good Friday 25 years ago. And at the start of the table was the Alliance Party. And no longer with us is Seamus Close and Sean Neeson. And next to them sat the Northern Ireland Labour Party. And no longer with us is Hugh Casey. And next to us, the Women's Coalition, was the Progressive Unionist Party. And no longer with us is David Irvine and Hughie Smith. And next to them was the SDLP. And no longer with us is John Hume and Seamus Mallon. And next to them was Sinn Féin, and no longer with us is Martin McGuinness. And next to them was the Ulster Unionist Party, and no longer with us is David Trimble. And then at the top of the table was the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, and no longer with us is Mo Molum. So those are the people I remember today, as well as my good friends here in the front seat and Lord Alderdice, who's not here. 25 years ago, we were asked, and some of you may remember this, to go down there and plant a tree as a memory of what we did and a reflection of what we would want to do in the future. I have never been back to that tree until an hour ago. It was the first time I saw the tree. The tree's sturdy, and there's a few other trees 
They're a wee bit stunted, but they're doing all right. And all the trees one day, if we come back again, I hope, will be strong and blossoming. So on Good Friday, as I stood up, I turned to my colleagues around that table and I said, I hope from this day on, every Friday will be a Good Friday. And I hope that from this day on, 25 years later, we will have many more Good Fridays. Thank you. Hello, I am Conor McCann, I'm 18 years old and I'm from outside Newry and I am a Youth Assembly member. Lord Alderdice was the leader of the Alliance Party during the political negotiations in 1998 and became the first Speaker of the new Assembly. Lord Alderdice has sent his apologies that he cannot be with us today, but he has sent us a short video message reflecting on the agreement and the first Assembly. Hello and uh, congratulations to Speaker Maskey, not only for organising this celebration, 25 years since the Good Friday Agreement, but also for his very successful mandate as Speaker during what by any accounts has been a pretty difficult time in the life of the Assembly. Congratulations, Alex, on all your work and thank you for it. In, in thanking you, I, I do have to say that I'm sorry that I'm not able to be with you, uh, as you can probably see from the background to this video, I'm actually in Sarajevo in Bosnia uh, and I'm sorry that I'm not able to be there to celebrate with you. Uh, I'm here on political business, um, but I, I do want to thank you for the opportunity of saying something and particularly of saying some words of thank you myself for all of those who helped so much all those years ago, you yourself, of course, as Chief Whip of, of Sinn Féin at that time, were a very positive influence, but there were many others as well. But we didn't just benefit from the help of people uh, in the Assembly and in Northern Ireland. I remember taking members of the Assembly and of the Commission to London and to Dublin. Now, of course, uh, the whole Assembly went to, to Brussels to try to understand how we might relate well with people there, but also to understand our role and, and how we might engage with each other from the experience of others. I also took members of the Commission to, to Washington DC and to Canada, to Ottawa and to Quebec, uh, not just to learn about general rules and procedures and how parliaments operate, but also to understand the relationships between state or or, or provincial parliaments in, in the U US and Canada and the federal government because one of the issues for us was how to relate uh, to, to London and Dublin. And there were other people who helped too. As I say, I'm, I'm here in Sarajevo and I, I came here uh, just shortly after the assembly was founded and I met uh, with the speakers of a couple of the parliaments here in Bosnia-Herzegovina. And uh, I remember very well saying to them, well, we've got a bit of a problem. I, I'm trying to sort out the offices. And, you know, some people don't want their offices beside other political parties. And some want a more prestigious office, an office at the front of the building, not the back of the building. And it's really quite challenging. How did you solve that? They'd been in, 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 in operation for a year or two at that stage. And two of the speakers looked at each other 
and smiled and turned and, and one said to, to me and to the other, well, that's a very interesting current problem. We still haven't solved that one. And, and that told me two things. First of all, it told me uh, that there are many of the problems we're dealing with that are ordinary human problems. There are problems that are different from other places, but there are many of our problems of relationships between people and groups that are just part of the business of, of, of humanity. And the other rather encouraging thing was that um, we weren't doing that badly. I, I thought, well, we're taking a bit of time to work this out, but compared with others, uh, we weren't actually doing too badly at all. And in those days, I think we did make extraordinary progress, not least because we didn't focus all the time on constitutions and institutions and procedures, though those were very important. Uh, but what we did do was try to deal with the disturbed historic relationships between our communities and make sure that we find a way of relating with each other in all sorts of practical ways, being respectful of each other, trying to treat each other fairly. It wasn't a question of whether you liked each other or or great buddy pals, that wasn't the issue. The issue was, could we make things work for the people that we represented? Could we be fair to each other? Could we behave respectfully towards each other, even if we didn't necessarily feel it all the time? Could we try to make a democratic institution work so that if there were changes that needed to be made, could we make them in a peaceful democratic way rather than resort to the use of force as had been the case for so many years with such terrible loss of life? And as I look back on those days, I, I must say I feel a great sense of, 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 of pride in the people that were working there. Uh, everybody tried very hard. They worked very closely together. They, they didn't allow small things to, to wreck the big things. And, uh, and of course, there were many uh, enjoyable times too, where we focused increasingly on what we could do in a practical sense. I, I remember for the first few years, uh, we would always go back to the United States for St. Patrick's Day. In fact, it became St. Patrick's Week uh, after a while. And then one day my wife said to me, John, you know, you're actually going to be getting somewhere when you can spend St. Patrick's Day at home in Northern Ireland and do something with the assembly here. And of course, as in so many situations, she was absolutely right. And so we decided, uh, I decided that I would stay and that many others would stay and we would have a St. Patrick's Day event in Parliament buildings and we would represent Unionist and Nationalist, Protestant and Catholic uh, and other backgrounds. And we did in a, in a, uh, in a musical and, 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 uh, and artistic extravaganza. It was a great success and it uh, encouraged other people to see what could we do to make sure that uh, at home we were able to build and develop the kind of community and the kind of assembly that would represent our people. I've got a lot of memories, of, of good memories, uh, and I thank all of those who worked so hard then and I want you to be encouraged. The difficulties that there are now are not so great as the difficulties we had then. If we could see, succeed then 25 years ago, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to more, move forward now and into the next 25 years. All the best as you celebrate, and I hope to see some of you quite soon when I'm back in Northern Ireland. Hello, I'm Grace McGoran. I'm 17 years old and I'm from St. Fields. I too am a Youth Assembly member. For a small place, our people have achieved so much, including in the fields of science, sport, the arts and music. We have abundance of talent and potential. We just need the opportunity to make the most of it. Please welcome back the choir of the Belfast School of Performing Arts.
situations leading up to 1998, Jerry Adams was president of Sinn Féin and was elected member of, for West Belfast in the First Assembly. Please welcome Jerry Adams. Get a chuck, Ishka, but anyway, Tommy Hans asked if I live here. I was Tommy Fairbreaker and John Coria. My chance to conch lives here faster and my way has to in the culture, the choir, our thanks to the choir as well as to the entire assembly team and to Alec's team also for putting on this event. And I, wa I want to commend Alec for opening this place up to others, making it more accessible, particularly his initiative with the youth of family, who we saw inviting and introducing the rest of us, and also for citizens with disabilities. I'm just back from the States, so I'm, I don't know where my, where my head is. I want to commend George Mitchell, I want to commend all of the parties to the agreement, all of the parties who laboured on, on this, and also to the other chairs and to the, the various commissioners. I want to commend Bertie O'Hearn and Tony Blair and their staff and their officials, President Clinton and our friends in Irish America. And I want to remember John Hume and Pat and David Trimble, David and Reg and the rest of the team the Ulster Unionist Party had great difficulties to uh, deal with. David Irvine, Cuey Smith, one of my best stories of the negotiations concerns Cuey Smith. It happened in Downing Street. Sherry Blair was expecting uh, their baby and we were involved in a plenary session in Downing Street and Cuey says to Tony Blair, I suppose you're going to call the child Tony. And Tony says, no, I'm going to, we're going to call it, if it's a boy, it is a boy, Leo. So Curie back home, good wise Shankle Roadman, into the bookie shop, put a huge amount of money, <laughs> and got a huge amount of money back from that. <laughs> Father Alex Reid, Father Des Wilson, Albert Reynolds, who doesn't get the credit that he deserves, and Gene Kennedy Smith and Teddy and Mo Molan, and all those who made the agreement possible. And I want to remember also Ian Paisley, who, after the initial process, famously shared the First Minister's office with Martin McGuinness, and they both made it work. And the last 25 years have been up and down, and there have been many twists and turns. But one thing for certain is we're all in a better place and despite current challenges, the future is bright. And if you doubt that, think of the countless lives which have been saved or reflect on events in other parts of the world at this time. So we have a lot to be thankful for and we have a lot 
to do. The Good Friday Agreement wasn't a one-off event. It wasn't a destination. It is a process. And processes have changed, particularly when they involve human beings with different attitudes and views, are challenging and they are difficult. The agreement belongs to us all, even to those folk who are against it. It's an all-Ireland, all-Ireland accord. It's an international treaty. And the reason it belongs to us all, because in May 1998, in two referendums, people endorsed it in huge numbers. So it's here to stay. The institutions of the agreement, they're not working at present, but that too can be fixed. And it's critically important that the results of the last election are respected. Now, I believed Jeffrey Donaldson when he says that the first minister-designate, Michelle O'Neill, taking up that office is not a problem for him. So when the DUP have concluded its internal processes, all of us can look forward to a new phase of the Northern Assembly. No other scenario is viable. Of course, that does not mean that everyone else should sit around twiddling our thumbs waiting for the DUP. I commend the work of civic society here, of all the other parties in the Assembly, of the efforts that are being made continuously to stand up for people in these difficult times of English Tory austerity. I commend the leadership shown by all of the leaders in this institution who have come together in progressive alliances. And I thank Michelle O'Neill for her commitment to be a First Minister for all. Now, there would not be a Good Friday Agreement without the work of Tony Blair. Unfortunately, the present English government has no real investment in the agreement. So that puts a greater onus on the Irish government to use all the Good Friday Agreement mechanisms including the British-Irish Intergovernmental Conference. English track rule is not an option. I'm sure we're all agreed on that. And we in this room with differences of opinion, but that does not and should not stop us working together. Our ability to do that formally in this assembly, as our mandates allowed, should not be delayed indefinitely. The Irish government has a duty and the right under the Good Friday Agreement to continue to uphold it and to hold the British government to account. And none of us should have to reduce that role to spectating or commentating. The Good Friday Agreement has protocols which need to be activated and so too with legacy issues. We all agree in that. The Irish government should take an interstate case against London. Inclusive dialogue created the Good Friday Agreement. Even though not everyone talked to Sinn Féin at that time, this has changed. Now, many of us are friends. All of us have decent, respectful conversations, and that's the way forward. The Good Friday Agreement has also provided a way to agree our future, and that's for the people to decide. This is our home place, all of us. It's a place we all love and a place which we want to prosper. And that's what unites everyone here. So let's discuss how we do that. Our responsibility is for the future. The past will take care of itself. Let's plan for the day when we can govern ourselves without the corrosive rule of London. In this too, the Good Friday Agreement is crucial. 
The protections in it claimed by some as being about nationalists are actually for everyone. Unionist rights, including the Orange traditions, will be protected by the Good Friday Agreement and by the rest of us. So in the spirit of Easter and the Good Friday Agreement, let us resolve to keep going. In the last 25 years, we've fallen down many times. In fact, we're very good at that. But we're also very good at getting back up again. We're very successful at that. So let's be successful once again. Gormila Moy Ogubbilyar. I'm Hannah O'Connor. I'm 16 years old from Irvinstown. I'm a youth assembly member. Mark Durkin was a key member of the negotiating team of the Social Democratic and Labour Party. He went on to serve as the Minister for Finance and Personnel in the first executive and then Deputy First Minister. Please welcome Mark Durkin. day of no prejudice, I can say that choir was as good as a dairy choir. <laughs> uh, I want to thank uh, the speaker for uh, having us here today and marking uh, the anniversary here uh, in Parliament Buildings, the home of the Assembly, which was one of the institutions uh, that was created by the Good Friday uh, Agreement. And I hope to see this institution working here and also hope to see Strand 2 and Strand 3 holding meetings in this building again as well uh, as elsewhere uh, as well. We have been reminded of people who were with us for achieving the Good Friday Agreement who are no longer with us and I don't want to recast their names again. We know we can't bring those people back. But we can bring back the spirit and the ethic that they put into achieving the agreement. That sense of collective purpose, that ability to cut through all the noise of difference and create shared institutions and shared uh, arrangements. The agreement was the result of multi-party negotiations. You wouldn't think that to look at some of the media treatment of uh, the anniversary. And it covered so many uh, facets here, not just institutional, but constitutional uh, as well. And I think one of the undervalued gems of the agreement were the changes in uh, the Irish Constitution, and particularly the new uh, Article 3. And I think in terms of the conversations that we're going to need to have in coming years, uh, around the different choices and preferences that people might have for the future constitutional status of this place. I think we could do well to begin by actually curating the language that Bertie Ahern and colleagues so carefully put in to the new uh, Article uh, 3, because it's framed in, in a way that is completely unthreatening to people of any uh, aspiration or uh, none. The agreement gave us a chance to move from what John Hume used to call the politics of the last atrocity 
to the politics of the next ambiguity. That was an achievement. But we needed to move from the sort of collective ambiguity that we deployed to get the agreement to create more collective certainty for each other. And that's maybe where we did uh, fall down when it came to the interpretation and implementation of the agreement. We didn't bring enough uh, collective certainty uh, into coinage alongside the necessary currency that collective ambiguity gave us in getting the uh, agreement and its endorsement. We also need to remember that the agreement wasn't just an achievement by all of the parties and the two governments and the independent chairs who were in castle buildings. It was also an achievement by the people, north and south, because remember the agreement was subject to endorsement, again one of John Hume's ideas, but it was subject to endorsement by people north and south, so that by having a majority in Northern Ireland it would be completely legitimate for unionists, and by having an overwhelming majority across the island as a whole it would be completely legitimate for nationalists. And in all of the issues that we might carp about around performance under the agreement or the institutions being up and down uh, or coming or going, we need to remember that that agreement achieved the highest watermark of democratic endorsement of anything, of anything in the history of this island, north or south. And so that's why we need to cherish it, we need to value it. But we can't just treat it as a precious ornament uh, to uh, be admired. It is a toolkit that needs to be worked to meet our problems, whether they are social, economic, whether they are cultural opportunities or whether there are considerable environmental uh, challenges. We need to be working those institutions as a toolkit. And that includes using them to meet some of the challenges that have been thrown up uh, by Brexit, some of the strains for the institutions and some of the strains for our sectors that have been created by Brexit. We could look creatively and use a bit of lateral thinking around the structures of the agreement to answer some of those uh, problems. Hannah mentioned that I was Minister of Finance and Personnel and the first executive. And I used to enjoy the executive meetings, believe it or not, I did. Uh, I used to tell people that it was great. All of us got all together, got on well together in that first uh, executive. Everybody else used to laugh at my jokes and I used to laugh at their bids. <laughs> but we did work through and it was a difficult transition for people in all parties because we were very used to the politics of making demands, of making demands on each other, of making demands against each other. We had to get used to the politics of making decisions making decisions with each other and even making decisions for each other. And we saw that in that first executive and we saw it in subsequent uh, executives uh, as well where people did uh, extend uh, themselves in their different uh, briefs and in their different uh, portfolios including uh, as first and deputy first minister uh, as well. And at a time when there's maybe some challenge or worry that some people might yet again try to challenge the agreement uh, at uh, this time. You know, let's remember that one of the things that really symbolised a unity of purpose was whenever uh, Peter Robinson and Martin McGuinness and the then Chief Constable stood together after there had been very united uh, stand inside that assembly uh, in the face uh, of violence that some people were seeking to use against the agreement. So let's not underestimate the 
importance of the democratic symbolism uh, that we can have in these institutions if we can get them uh, restored and working uh, again. It is Good Friday. On Good Friday 25 years ago, Mo Molum sent word round the building that she had arranged for catering staff to bring in breakfast. I was the last of the SDLP ones down, and I came in along with David Irvine and some of the PUP into the canteen, and the SDLP table was near the railing leading to the serving area. And the announcement came from the serving area, there's no more bacon rolls, there's only toast. And I looked and I could see my SDLP colleagues all there with their bacon rolls. And I said, it's Good Friday. And their faces dropped. <laughs> the bacon rolls dropped. And David Irvine turned around to colleagues and says, typical, the takes can't have it for themselves, but they take the bite out of it so the prods can't get it. When I got to the table with my lump bit of toast, they were all finishing off their bacon rolls, and Seamus Mallon announced that he had declared that the travellers' dispensation applied. Uh, that there was, because he said, if we can't say we're on a big journey today, when can we say we're on a big journey? And I said, Seamus, who made you a lay bishop? And he said, well, if Paisley can ordain himself, Surely I am entitled to a bit of equality under all this that we've negotiated. So that was on uh, Good Friday. So there was good humour uh, in that building. Uh, there was a uh, good purpose. We need to renew that. We need to restore it. So let us mark today with a sense of positive renewal, but also allow time for some progressive review as to how we can learn the lessons of some of the failures and how we can catch up and deliver and let a new generation take things forward according to their lights, according to their priorities and according to their shared purposes. I'm Jessica McArdle. I am 15 year years old from Fermanagh. I'm a youth assembly member. Lord Empey was a senior negotiator for the Ulster Unionist Party in the multi-party talks and in the first executive. He served as Minister of Enterprise, Trade and Investment. Please welcome Lord Empey. Mr Speaker, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Isn't it uh, wonderful to see uh, the young people here today, not only those who performed us, those from the Assembly, but they are the second generation that has grown up in this country who have no working knowledge of what violence and our troubles meant. Isn't that terrific? And if there's nothing else, if there's nothing else that it has achieved, that in and of itself is a victory. I think that, um, as Billy said in his opening remarks, he would have preferred not to have been at this platform today. I find myself in similar circumstances. I would much prefer David Trimble was here. And I'm delighted to see Lady Daphne and members of the family are with us 
this afternoon. I suppose we can all uh, have reflections of what was a very long process. It's very hard to explain to people who haven't been through these uh, what it actually means and what it actually does day to day. It did last two years, but that, of course, was not the whole story because there had been a number of initiatives beforehand. Uh, uh, going back to Albert Reynolds, Brooke Mayhew, and all of that. So by the time we came to the Mitchell process, we had already experienced quite a lot of negotiations. And I think people maybe find it difficult to understand when you have opponents in politics, you perhaps glare at each other across a council chamber or a TV studio, uh, but when you're actually um, dealing with what I call the grunt work of negotiations going on day after day after day over enormously great detail of minutiae, uh, you do begin to get the view from another person's lens, through another person's lens. And that helps uh, when you're trying to find something that will work. And First of all, there's going to be a row over those bacon rolls. We didn't get any offers of bacon rolls after. So, you know, you can sort of make a point about how you're treated in any society, and we can all stand back and say, we didn't get this or we didn't get that. But I think uh, the, the, the way one needs to look at it from now on is what can we do? What can we contribute? The agreement isn't and wasn't perfect. There's absolutely no doubt about that. It has flaws, and we have to remember there were a number of people, significant number of people in the community who, who didn't vote for it and who didn't agree with it, who found it there were moral issues. They, they had huge challenges. So we must also remember those who didn't agree as well as those who did. But I do agree very strongly with what Mark said. The one thing that stands out about this agreement, uh, amongst others, is the fact that it was endorsed by the people before it was implemented. And that gave it a strength and a legitimacy which very few other have. Now, in this place, there is a division of whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. But internationally, I can tell you that it is very widely regarded around the world as a significant achievement. In this building one week ago, I, upstairs I had to speak along with others to a delegation from Ethiopia who had come all the way here to learn about our process. Last year I spoke to delegates from the Republic of Georgia about their difficulties. Before Christmas, we spoke to people from Thailand, all these generals who had come in because they were looking for a mechanism to try and find a resolution to their troubles. So we must not assume that we're simply a, 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 an independent, freestanding uh, unit on our own. The world is full of conflict, and anything and any process 
that can be adapted and where people can learn, I think we have an opportunity to try and tell them and explain to them how we got to where we were. And at the end of the day, we could argue over all sorts of things that are wrong and aren't right. And indeed, my fear is, at the present moment, we're in danger of repeating some of our mistakes again in the present circumstances, because we should know in these islands, in the long run, boycott doesn't work. And the vacuum will be filled by others. So I would urge people to seriously reflect on that. But do remember, is there something we can contribute to people in other parts of the world to help them end their conflict as we work hard to try and do, resolve the unfinished business of our own conflict? So I would conclude by wishing and, and reflecting on those who aren't with us who made such substantial contributions, and also the fact that we find ourselves with these two generations growing up not knowing the trouble that we had to go through and the sacrifices that were made in those days. So let's take at least some heart from the fact that we can be an example to others. We still have to work hard. We've unfinished business. But the one thing that is very clear to me, only participation and working on behalf of the people. And if you're not prepared to do it in the, in the middle of the most economic crisis that many families have had to uh, endure, if you're not prepared to do it now, when are you prepared to do it? Keep working. Thank you. We have heard many encouraging and indeed insightful reflections today from those who were present in the multi-party negotiations. Others who were present or who were members in the First Assembly are with us here today as well. There are many others who served in the Assembly over the last 25 years who have sadly passed on, including Lord Bonsai. I want to take a moment this afternoon to remember all those who played a key role in the Good Friday negotiations but are sadly no longer with us today. We're not going to achieve very much. A new politics 
has begun. It is time for responsibility and commitment. It is time for service to people, those who elected us all here, those who resolved to make this agreement work, and those who of themselves have not yet resolved to do so. People are urging us all to do the right thing, to talk to one another, to engage in dialogue, and to implement the agreement. And the agreement is much more than this assembly. the challenge before us to create the new beginning and to implement the agreement that the people have so overwhelmingly endorsed. confidence to grasp this challenge, to create jobs, foster economic prosperity, tackle divisions and improve the quality of life for all. Our community deserves the best possible form of government that we can collectively scope. received apologies from the Hume and the Molan families who are unable unfortunately to join us this afternoon but I am of course very pleased that we are joined today by representatives of the families of David Irvine, Seamus Mallon, Martin McGuinness and Lord Trimble and I want to thank you for coming this afternoon and I do hope that you can take some comfort in remembering the proud achievements of your loved ones. May they rest in peace. Please welcome Dana Masters. Good afternoon. Thank you all for having me here. I, I feel very honored to be with you in such a historical moment in your story. And while I'm listening to all these beautiful speeches and all these wonderful words, I'm, I'm literally, I don't know why I put on makeup this morning because it's going to be all down my face in a little bit. But my imagination can't help to be, but to be drawn to while the leaders of this country and global leaders gathered in rooms to try and craft something that would deliver peace to the people of Northern Ireland. 
I think about the other rooms, the living rooms and the kitchen tables that the people of Northern Ireland gathered at as they waited with bated breath to see if you could do it. And I feel so grateful that you did do it. And so this is a song I wrote when I was in LA, when I didn't know, I knew very little about Northern Ireland that stage. But it's reminding me now of the amazing people of this place and what maybe they felt and what you all were going through at the time.
heard already this afternoon from representatives of the political parties, we of course also want to recognise that the British and Irish governments are co-guarantors of the agreement. Tony Blair has sent us good wishes and apologies that he is unable to be with us today. In 1998, Paul Murphy was Minister for Political Development in the NIO. Lord Murphy is unable to join us, but he has recorded a video message for us today. Well, a very good afternoon to all of you, and particularly, of course, to the Speaker, to Alex Maskew, who I've known for a very long time and for whom I have great admiration. And um, I do wish you all, first of all, a very happy Easter. Uh, and also, it gives me the opportunity to reflect on what happened 25 years ago and its significance, uh, because I can't actually be with you in person today. But it's great to be given uh, this wonderful opportunity to be able to talk to you all. The first thing I, I think I should mention is that a lot of the people who worked with me in 1997-98, of course, sadly, have died. And I'd like particularly to make pay tribute to, uh, to Mo Molan. Uh, I was Mo's deputy at the time as Minister of State uh, for Northern Ireland, to uh, Martin McGuinness, uh, to David Trimble, to John Hume, to David Irvine, and others. Um, who played a huge part uh, a quarter of a century ago in producing the Good Friday Agreement. And I really can't underestimate the significance of um, those men and women uh, who gave so much of their energy and wisdom um, to creating what was, after all, one of the most historic agreements in modern times. Uh, I had gone to uh, Northern Ireland the year before, in 1997, when the Labour Party had won the general election and Tony Blair had become Prime Minister, uh, things weren't in any way easy um, from the summer there in 97, right up until almost the time of the Good Friday Agreement itself. There were some awful things happening, a number of terrible murders, as you know. Um, and I really wondered, after Christmas 1997, whether we would actually achieve any sort of agreement because things had slowed up and there were always the difficulties which we had faced for many years. But as it happens, because uh, the great George Mitchell had decided that there'd be a deadline for um, Good Friday 1998, for Easter, uh, that we worked extremely hard. And the last week was, to say the least, memorable. And it wasn't really, I suppose, until the very end of uh, that day, April the 10th, 1998, till about five o'clock, that we actually thought we would achieve what we had set out to achieve over all those years of nego negotiation. And those achievements, which all of you know, were very real indeed. It, it ended effectively uh, the 30 years of the so-called troubles. It uh, brought in the new institutions. It made huge differences to policing, to criminal justice, to equality, to human rights, to language. Um, and of course, it made some very controversial decisions, including the release of prisoners. But all of those issues, controversial and important and significant that they were, 
were ultimately voted on by the people of Northern Ireland and of the Republic of Ireland. Um, and people overwhelmingly supported this agreement, despite the fact that it was quite difficult for some people to accept. Inevitably, in any peace process, um, people had to make compromises. And the great compromise of the Good Friday Agreement was that it brought about the principle of consent. So the people of Northern Ireland themselves will decide upon their constitutional future. And none of that happened by accident. It happened because of years of negotiations, years of uh, people having to make those sort of compromises, but ending up with an agreement which was undoubtedly, as far as I was concerned, in the you know, half a century now that I've been involved in public life, was the most significant thing that ever happened to me. And I will always remember 5, 5.30, uh, April the 10th, 1998, on Good Friday, a significant day, um, that uh, the world changed for us all, including, and above all, of course, for the people of Northern Ireland themselves. We currently face very difficult uh, circumstances, and I hope and pray that within the next number of weeks or months, we'll be able to see the restoration of our assembly and the executive, the North-South bodies, and the full operation of the institutions of the Good Friday Agreement. I really do hope that's going to happen and that everybody will do their best, particularly because it coincides with this 25th anniversary, uh, to be able to ensure that that happens. Because ultimately, all this is about the future of the people of Northern Ireland, particularly, of course, the young people. Um, and we forget that a quarter of a century is quite a long time ago and that people now in their middle age will barely remember the signing of the agreement. But the fact that they, we have had 25 years without terrible violence, although, of course, there have been some examples of that, but generally speaking, without that, that we, we've had peace in Northern Ireland and that we, we've had prosperity. Let's make sure that continues. And I wish everybody uh, this afternoon all the very best for the future. Thank you very much indeed. Representatives of the British and Irish governments gave considerable time to the multi-party negotiations. Before moving to the next contribution, I also want to acknowledge Liz O'Donnell, who is with us today, who is Minister of State in the Department of Foreign Affairs. And Liz is here this afternoon, so you're very welcome, Liz. Thank you. As, as Taoiseach, Bertie Ahern was unstinting in his personal commitment to achieving an agreement. And I am absolutely delighted that Bertie has taken the time to be with us today, and I want to invite himself to share some memories and reflections with us. Bertie Ahern. Um, ladies and gentlemen, it is a tremendous honour uh, to be here. I want to, to thank the speaker and everyone involved in uh, the work around it. I want to say uh, it's a great pleasure to, to be here with, uh, with, with Billy and uh, Monica and Jerry and Mark and um, Reg Empey and 
uh, all of those who've been on video and to uh, share this day and, uh, with us as we remember um, what we were all at um, these uh, months and, and years. Um, I always find it a bit strange that we talk about the, the final week. Um, my recollection is it went on for years. Um, maybe my recollection with age has got a bit blurred, but I do remember uh, so many, so many years. And I want to acknowledge uh, the enormous work, uh, the inclusive work uh, that all of the parties in front of me uh, put into the effort, uh, to the leaders, uh, to the delegations, uh, to their officials and those who were volunteers working with them. Uh, in my view, there are wonderful, wonderful people who gave their very best, 100% of the time, uh, to making the Good Friday Agreement work. And it was their um, efforts that succeeded, uh, bringing around uh, 25 years of peace and, and effort. So well done to you all. You have been a, a wonderful friends and colleagues of mine. And while I fought and argued with you continuously, I still love you all. Uh, I want to thank all the young people for their efforts, and uh, I know that uh, shortly the young people are going to read the Declaration of Support, and I think that that declaration uh, still applies today, uh, because it is to remember all our colleagues who are not with us anymore, and uh, I'm delighted to see so many of the families represented. Um, and I want to say to all of those, they always be proud of uh, what your loved ones achieved. Uh, because it would not have been possible without them. Uh, obviously, my colleague in uh, all of the negotiations to, to Tony Blair and to George Mitchell and to the uh, to other co-chairs that were with us, John, um, uh, they put in so much effort and so much commitment uh, to it, and those that came afterwards as well, right up to uh, 2008. Uh, also, can I remember today, I think as we always do, uh, to remember all of those who uh, our work came a bit too late for. Uh, the, uh, those who um, died, those who were injured, uh, those who suffered uh, in any way during the, uh, the years of the Troubles. Uh, we always remember them uh, and always uh, respect um, what uh, their huge loss has been. Uh, I do I want to say that uh, going forward, and I suppose uh, my only role is to watch from the sidelines, but uh, I do hope that the, the issues that we didn't resolve or maybe issues that are still outstanding are completed. Um, personally, I don't think it's uh, sustainable, desirable or fair to the people of Northern Ireland uh, that the institutions of the Good Friday Agreement, uh, whether they be here in the Assembly, the Executive, the North-South bodies uh, or uh, the British-Irish Council or the Intergovernmental Council, are not working. Uh, so I just wish uh, those who have the power nowadays uh, to make these things happen uh, will do so very quickly when these few weeks uh, are over. Uh, otherwise, uh, our efforts are partially in vain, uh, and I don't think any of us wish that. Uh, speaker, uh, I want to congratulate you uh, on all that you've been doing. I've been back here a number of times on different uh, issues recently, uh, and you seem to be here morning, noon and night. Um, it's not fair that you do it all on your own, so I hope soon uh, that you have many more through those doors uh, to help you out. Ladies and gentlemen, 25 years ago, I think we did something special. I agree with everyone who said it's not perfect, uh, but it was substantial. 
Let's hope it continues to be that way and even more substantial in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Bertie, and Gormila Magov. Uh, I now want to invite members from our Youth Assembly to read the Declaration of Support from the Good Friday Agreement. We, the participants in the multi-party negotiations, believe that the agreement we have negotiated offers a truly historic opportunity for a new beginning. The tragedies of the past have, has left a deep and profoundly regrettable legacy of suffering. We must never forget those who have died or been injured and their families, but we can best honour them through a fresh start in which we firmly dedicate ourselves to the achievement of reconciliation, tolerance and mutual trust, and to the protection and vindication of human rights of all. We are committed to partnership, equality and mutual respect as the basis of relationships within Northern Ireland, between North and South, and between these islands. We reaffirm our total and absolute commitment to exclusively democratic and peaceful means of resolving differences on political issues. We also reaffirm our opposition to any use or threat of force by others for any political purpose, whether in regards to this agreement or otherwise. We acknowledge the substantial differences between our continuing and equally legitimate political aspirations. However, we will endeavour to strive in every practical way towards reconciliation and reapproachment within the framework of democratic and agreed uh, arrangements. We pledge that we will, in good faith, work to ensure the success of each and every one of the arrangements to be established under this agreement. It is accepted that all of the institutional and constitutional arrangements, an assembly in Northern Ireland, a North-South Ministerial Council, implementation bodies, a British-Irish Council and a British-Irish Intergovernmental Conference and any amendments to the British Acts of Parliament and the Constitution of Ireland are interlocking and interdependent. In particular, the functioning of the Assembly and the North-South Council are so closely interrelated that the success of each depends on that of the other. Accordingly, in a spirit of concord, we strongly commend this agreement to the people, North and South, for their approval. It is of course important today to acknowledge that the Good Friday Agreement was achieved with much international support. 
Throughout the negotiations and the implementation of the agreement, the parties received assistance from many countries, including Canada, South Africa, Finland, European Union and others. The United States played a particularly active and key role. President Clinton gave a level of leadership and time which was unprecedented. Of course, Senator George Mitchell's patience and integrity and skill were crucial to achieving the agreement. And I am extremely grateful that Senator Mitchell has recorded a personal message for us just yesterday. I'm sorry that I cannot be there with you in person, but I'm honored and pleased to participate through this videotape. Over the past quarter century, many documentary films, books, articles, and news reports have described the events that led to the Good Friday Agreement, also known as the Belfast Agreement. They have rightly praised many people for their efforts. I believe the greatest heroes were the people of Northern Ireland and their political leaders. The people supported, worked for, and established a democratic, peaceful process as their preferred form of governance. They rejected violence as a way to resolve their differences. Their political leaders, in the most difficult and dangerous of circumstances, at high political risk and under tremendous political pressure, acted with courage, with vision, with strength. In the aftermath, all were at some point criticized and rebuked. Some lost their public offices. Some of their political parties suffered steep declines. But they did what was right for the people they represented, and history will judge them favorably. The agreement was a political compromise, the best that could be achieved at that time. It did not resolve all of the outstanding issues, but it did accomplish important objectives, including, among others, it ended the political violence. It made explicit the principle of consent that the political status of Northern Ireland is for the people of Northern Ireland to decide. It established a democratically elected, power-sharing government. The agreement was reached and has been sustained because it was not imposed from above or from outside. It was written and signed by the elected representatives of the people of Northern Ireland and then approved by large majorities in referendums held in Northern Ireland and in Ireland. On the evening the agreement was reached, I praised the men and women who wrote and signed it. But I also said that it would take other leaders in the future to safeguard and extend their work. And so it has. It is now up to the current leaders of Northern Ireland, of the United Kingdom, of Ireland, to act with the same courage and vision as did their predecessors 25 years ago. In human affairs, the solution to every problem contains within it the seeds of a new problem. So the current leaders face updated versions of old problems as well as new problems. But those current leaders can and must do whatever is necessary to preserve peace, to restore self-government to Northern Ireland, 
to ensure for those they represent freedom, hope, and opportunity for all. Over a span of five years, I chaired three separate but related sets of discussions and negotiations. In the process, I came to know and to love Northern Ireland, the place and the people. May God bless them with peace and with broadly shared prosperity. Thank you for inviting me to join you today. The agreement was about a new beginning for building our future together, regardless of political opinion, religion, race, gender or sexuality, regardless of whether you voted for the agreement or not. In the 25 years which have passed, our society has changed and has benefited from a growing and vibrant diversity. The one thing that binds us all together is that we call this place our home. Please welcome back Dana Masters. I am obviously, it's going to come a shock, as a shock to most of you, but I'm not originally from here, from Northern Ireland. Um, I am a black American woman uh, raised in the South of the United States of America, granddaughter to a civil rights activist who met and fell in love with a Northern Irish man in Los Angeles, a proud Northern Irish man who told me he was not at all staying in America, but he was going back home. So I thought to myself, I must follow this man and see what's so wonderful about this home that he talked about. And I, I came and I fell in love with you. And I also then gave birth to and are now raising three little chocolate Northern Irish babies. And I get to travel the world and share my music and I love it. And I've been to so many wonderful countries and people ask me, if you could, Dana, if you could live anywhere, where would you want to live? And I said, I can live anywhere. And I choose to live in Northern Ireland. It's a wonderful place. And uh, I've been here 14 years. And I was nervous when I came because I didn't look like you. I didn't sound like you. And uh, you welcomed me with open arms. And a more hospitable people I've never met. And a kinder people I've never met. And a more empathetic people I have never met. And so whenever I get the chance to sing at home, I always like to remind you of who you are and who you've been to me. And that hospitality and that kindness and that empathy, it means a lot to me. And I want to say thank you. So I wrote you a song. This is a song I want to dedicate to you. It's my love song to Northern Ireland. Lost my way in a desert land Searching for some 
somewhere I could stand high and dry I crossed the sea wasn't looking for a home but home found me the wide open arms of your hills pulled me in I fell for your charms and your wild northern winds and then you lay me down and whispered soft and sweet I'll be your home if you let me Nothing to give I had, nothing to bring, and still you held my hand and eased my suffering. And when I close my eyes, I still hear you breathe, and with every sigh, you give life to me. The wide open arms. Then you lay me down and whispered soft and sweet, I'll be your home if you let me. Point, can I invite Dana to remain on stage, please, and to also ask our youth assembly members and the choir of the Belfast School of Performing Arts to please join us.
Okay. Over the past hour, we have had the privilege of hearing reflections from those who were at the heart of events 25 years ago. The 1st of July will mark 25 years of this Assembly, its first meeting, and I hope that another event can be held then to reflect on that anniversary with all of the members who have served across all of the mandates being invited. And I would argue that this Assembly is and should be the heartbeat of the Good Friday Agreement. If the Assembly is not operating, it impacts on the rest of the institutions and on the progress that we can and should be making. Participants from 1998 have been the focus of our ceremony today, but we are also joined by many of our current members of the Assembly. And those of us from the 1998 generation are very much passing the baton on to you to deal with not just our historic issues, but with crucially building for our future. Now, if you bear with me, I have a range of people to thank for our ceremony today. And this is the Barry McGuigan moment. Uh, I want to thank members of the Youth Assembly, Adam Hutchinson, Kelly Yu, Connor McGann, McCann, Grace McGurin, Ali Turney, Hannah O'Connor, and Jessica Elise McCardle. Thank you to the choir of the Belfast School of Performing Arts for bringing such life and energy to Parliament buildings today. Thank you as well to choir conductor Jonah Hutchinson, Tina McVeigh, and artistic director Peter Corey, who requires no introduction from myself. Thank you also to Dana Masters for two incredible performances and two songs which were so fitting to our event today. Thank you to Lord Alderlace, Lord Murphy, and Senator George Mitchell for recording video messages for us. Thank you to our contributors on stage today, Billy Hutchinson, Monica Williams, Jerry Adams, Mark Durkin, Lord Ampey and Bertie Ahern. Finally, can I thank all of the staff right across the Assembly who have joined together for the planning and the delivery of today's event, including ushering, broadcasting and communications, the events office, engagement and outreach, all our meters and greeters, building services, the Youth Assembly team, our caterers and my own office. It has been a huge task, but I do appreciate how committed they have all been to ensuring that Parliament buildings was included in the marking of this anniversary. As Vailin or an Akut Shaw, Beamish or Minda Fasa, Ladul Agur, La Kela August Lesson Seal, Arohas, Agsules Tra and Sinu, and Kohintu Les and Seal Shin Ahurchigran. Thank you for joining us for this ceremony. Let us all now redouble our efforts to work together to realise the potential for our society that was envisaged with the signing of this agreement 25 years ago. And folks, that ends our ceremony. Officials will guide you out through the back of the seating area.